Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman, and today I'm talking to Vicky Jones, who's a former international athlete and is a certified wellness coach and personal trainer. And we'll be talking about what she discovered when she went to nutrition school in just a minute. And just before we do, I'd like to invite you over to my website, aftersugarclub.com, to download your simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar. Just go to the tab, Simple Guide, and get your guide there. And also check out the videos on my website, aftersugarclub.com, by clicking on the tab, What to Eat. There's lots of free resources there to help you figure out, well, what's left to eat if you cut sugar? And come say hi on my Facebook page, Life After Sugar, on my Instagram account at My Life After Sugar, where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do, and basically, you know, Instagram stuff to show you that it's totally possible to have an active and fun life, even when you don't eat sugar. And you can also find me on YouTube, on the Life After Sugar YouTube channel that I just started in December 2021. So excited! Leave a friendly comment or two there and subscribe to the Life After Sugar YouTube channel because I'll be publishing a new video every week. All right, here's my chat with Vicky Jones. So, Vicky, so lovely to see you. And um, can you tell me a little bit about your life when you were still consuming sugar? Well, um, I have been, well, I was consuming sugar as actually as an athlete. Um, from a very young age, I was always involved in competitive athletics. Um, and in 1983, I came to the United States, which is where I live now, to train full-time for a sport called modern pentathlon, which is running, swimming, horseback riding, fencing, and shooting. Wow. And I was lucky, well, I, it was, that was my career. I was uh, representing the United States at an international level, training full-time and also going to school. Um, and, one of the things that really was brought home to me was we had a full um, lineup of coaches. So we had a coach for every single sport. We had a massage therapist. We had a, uh, an executive director that took care of our traveling and our competition. So it really was full on. And we were supported by the US Olympic Committee. One of the things, and this was my eye-opener, to what was going on back there is we weren't taught how to eat. And not, not at all, or you were, but it wasn't. 
Not at all. Not one mention of food, I mean, hydration, that kind of stuff. This was back in the 80s and food and uh, athletic performance hadn't kind of meshed into a science. Um, so literally we ate everything. I can remember going to fencing competitions and we'd have 12 donuts as our, you know, warm up and, um, and because we had that psychology also of we were burning so many calories. I mean, we were always on the run. We were moving from training um, venue to training venue throughout the day. And often we were literally picking ourselves up with sugar to get us through the day of training. So it was something taught to me at a very early age. It was when I was a swimmer, very young. It was like, have a have a glucose tablet, you know, to give yourself some energy before your swimming race. And, um, and that's what, when I retired from athletics or from pentathlon, I moved into um, the field of nutrition because I really felt like, okay, this is something that needs to be learned for athletes, but it also needs to be learned for us. You know, why is this missing from um, our performance. And did you feel when you were um, performing, doing the, all those athletics, I'm so impressed that you did all of those things. <laughs> I can't do one of them. Um, <laughs> but, but did you feel at that time in the 80s that it was missing or was it just the way things were? Um, that is a good question. I think it was actually missing. It was, I mean, it was actually both. It was the way things were. That's, it, it was the way things were. There weren't, um, gosh, I can remember the, the beginning of the, the sports nutrition uh, movement, the power bar. You know, do we remember the power bar? You know, and, and uh, energy drinks, all full of sugar. Hmm. And all, um, you know, there wasn't any, anything to minimize you getting that sugar high. You would just ingest it and it'd be like, boom. But the isn't that what we needed as an athlete? Well, we thought we did. You know, that was, that was, that was the thought back then that as an athlete, in order for us to get energy, we needed sugar. And, you know, since then, we have now learned that, yes, you can have a sugar high, but you will get the, you know, you'll get the sugar drop. You'll get on that roller coaster. And I think that's probably, well, looking back on it, that's exactly what would happen. You'd just do this roller coaster throughout the day of, you know, consuming sugar right before a training event or, or even before a competition. And then by the end of, <clears throat> excuse me, by the end of the competition, beyond the sugar low. And did you feel that physically when you were um, doing competitions? I think we probably did because you do feel it physically. I don't think you realize what's going on. You just kind of put in your mind, okay, I just competed. So I must be out of energy and I need a, an up. So you'd go back to, you know, getting some more sugar and then you, eh 
down again. Yeah. But this was in an era of, so before big competitions, we would be taken out by team sponsors. And our pre-competition meal would be carbohydrates. You know, it would be the pasta meal. You know, even when I went on to do triathlons, you know, it was the same thing right before the event, big spaghetti dinner, you know, you'd be drinking um, electrolytes and sugar as your replacement, even during an event. And, and I've run marathons. And that was the other thing, you know, they would actually put out stations where people would drink Coca-Cola. Yeah. You know, it was just a very different back then. Yes. I mean, that was in the 80s, right? 80s, 90s, yes. Okay. So so then once you retired, you said, you decided to go and study nutrition. Yep. So how far did you get in those studies? Well, I got my master's is in human nutrition. Um, And that was very interesting again, because that was the beginning of food science. That was in the era of here come the fake sugars, here come the fake fats, here come the things that are going to save us from getting unhealthy. You know, it was, we had um, lecturers coming in talking to, to us about this new invention that was going to go into a little pink packet um, called Sweet and Low. And NutraSweet, that was, that was the, you know, when I was studying and I mean, I remember very clearly one of the lecturers was saying, this is going to go to market. And they were talking about sweet and low and NutraSweet. This is going to go to market, but we have no idea about the health effects of this little white sugar replacement because we've only tested it on rats. Yeah, you can't ethically test it on humans as far as I know. No, no. And they, you know, at the time, like I said, it was all about food science. It was learning how to replace calories that they thought were so abhorrent for us to have. It was like low fat this, fake fats. um, And they would actually start taking the calories out and putting either a sugar replacement in or they'd put sugar in. That yeah. was the other thing. Which is half less than half the calories of fat, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so they were totally in the whole calories in, calories out, all calories are created equal kind of mindset or, or paradigm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the whole things, you know, get fat out of your diet. Make everything light. Did you in your studies um, ever actually study the studies about why fat was so awful or supposed to be awful? No, (laughs) I didn't, but I read about it afterwards. I mean, you know, I've read so much um, because ever since I've done my, ever since I did my degree, I've always been interested in food and I have literally watched the, how it has changed over the years and back then, you know, we avoided fats. We didn't know about them. And there was stuff coming out by big organizations saying that this is unhealthy. And 
I don't think it was, it was probably 20 years later when I was starting to read about what the, you know, the good fats and how detrimental sugar is. So it was fats and sugar, we were like, you know, they were taking fats out and pushing sugar. And then it's like, now it's switched. It's like, put the fats back in, get the healthy fats, get the sugar out. Because that is, you know, that is, it's poison. I mean, if you'd have said in the 80s or 90s, or quite frankly, even five years ago, um, the term good fats, I would have just thought that you were, <laughs> it was a contradiction in terms. There's no such thing as good fats. Now we know better. But at the time, all fats were bad, right? At the time, all, yeah, all fats were bad. I mean, do we, I mean, the biggest magazine at the time was Cooking Light. Hmm. Get the fats, you know, start cooking without fat. But in order for them to take fats out, they would actually put sugars in. Right. So it was like this switch of, and, you know, we all became sugar addicts. Sugar addicts and, funnily enough, overweight. Uh, yeah, funnily enough, the thing that they were trying to prevent um, which actually is a very, you, there are studies that you can read now that this is, um, this was erroneous information given to us, but you know, the fact that we don't have enough fat um, and the whole sugar thing is, you know, sugar is such a toxic substance in our body. And as soon as we start consuming that, especially sweet and low and the, the fake sugars, they're, the body doesn't know what to do with them on a, on a, you know, when we try and digest them, it is like, what is this? We don't know how to digest this. This becomes a toxic substance in our body. And therefore our body holds on to fat to protect it from the toxicity of a foreign body in our digestive system. And that's why we start putting on weight. And that sort of toxic um, product, whether it's actual sugar or pretend sugar, yep. <laughs> one toxin with another, that also creates inflammation in the body. The body not knowing what to do with all this stuff, it, it will create inflammation. Is that right? Yeah, it will create inflammation. And the other thing that happens when you ingest sugar is, you know, your free radicals increase. Um, and then it increases your oxidative stress. So we hear about free radicals being very detrimental to our health um, and oxidative stress on our body is also very detrimental to our health. So sugar, even though we used to think it was a very clean substance is actually very, very dirty. During your studies for your master's degree now I, I come from an academic background so it's like I spent my whole career you know thinking that master's degrees and PhDs are like the top of the, of the pile <laughs> and that you know more when you study longer but if I understand correctly from your studies in human nutrition up to a master's degree level what I understand is that you never actually questioned those studies or that those conclusions 
that said that fat is bad, get it out of your diet. Is that right? That's right, yeah. I never, I mean, I've since changed my mind. I've since, because I think what you do is you're, you know, you learn about food. I was basically learning about food and I was learning about, at that time, the food pyramid, which was different from what it is now. We have a different, you know, uh, system of food. But it, I was, yes, I was learning what they wanted us to hear. There were some things that were coming up that were like, um, not sure about this, but even the stuff that I learned, I went on then to um, feed my children the same thing. It was like, okay, we're gonna go organic, we're gonna go healthy, we're going, um, here's an example of things I did. I wanted, I didn't want them to feel lack. So instead of giving them regular Oreos, I would give them organic Oreos. <laughs> Lovely. Thinking that that was healthy and better, not understanding that it's the, I mean, the, the bad thing is the sugar, the chemicals that are in the food. Um, so I've since kept learning and learning and learning, staying one step ahead of the curve, hopefully, um, because I'm interested in it. You know, I, I really believe that food is medicine. Um, you know, food is fuel. And, you know, when you're an athlete, you should, we're all athletes, you know, we're athletes as mums, we're athletes as um, parents or anything, you know, as professors, we're, we're all life athletes. So we should be feeding ourselves the best fuel. And, and, it's, the, and it's been a learning experience. I'm sure it has. I'm sure it has. And it's, it feels to me like you were learning more once you stepped out of that yeah. academic context. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's irony for you. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, well, back then, even to get into a nutrition program, there were hardly any nutrition programs in the colleges, in the universities. So for me to find one was difficult anyway and it it really it kind of gave me the degree but for me then I was like all right this is my interest I am going to learn all about foods but Netta that was I mean I can remember eating those awful egg whites hmm. you know it's like get all the cholesterol out of your food it's terrible for your heart and we were making these recipes with fake eggs and horrible fake foods and I think Ooh. you know now it's like Ugh. yeah now now you know better than now I know better, better. You know yeah. at school yeah. <laughs> I say this as a teacher yeah. <laughs> I have to laugh otherwise I'd cry so um so okay so then you did your master's in human nutrition. You then sort of actually learned stuff to do with how the human body actually uses food and macros and all the rest of it. And all through that time, did you, what, what were you doing then? Like, what were you doing with this information over and above sort of feeding your family differently? Um, you know, I was, well, I was working. You know, I, was, I went in from being an athlete. I was a personal trainer and a wellness coach, and I would help people with um, food. 
um, getting healthy with food. So I used it in, I mean, in every day. So it, it really kept me, um, it, I mean, it just kept me involved in what was going on with nutrition. And I would always tell my clients, this was my, my little tagline, because people would come to me and they would be um, working out. I would be giving them workouts. And I said, I would say, you cannot out train a bad diet. Yeah. And it would upset me or it would frustrate me that people would put in so much effort into these workouts that they would do. They would come into my gym and they would work so hard and then they'd turn around and negate everything they'd done by what they were putting in their mouth, not understanding that it wasn't good for them. And how can you make them understand that, though? In your position, with all your knowledge and all your degrees and that, how did you manage to make them understand, or did you not? Um, there were some people that I, you know, I always... Well, when I took on a client, I also talked to them about, look, in order for you to get the best out of this program, you need to, um, you know, maybe change. And I would talk, I do consultations on their, what they were eating because it was, like I said, it was frustrating to me to watch them not budge the scale. And often people, you know, that's the reason they come to you, that, that they want to lose weight. And they think exercise is the way they're going to do that, not realizing that, like I said, what they're putting in their mouth is going to negate their exertion with the, the working out. Um, so I also developed on the side a, a nutrition program for my clients. And it would be... Um, for example, it was it was no sugar. Oh, really? <laughs> well, it, I had, you know, it was suddenly, I can't remember how many years ago, it was probably 15 years ago, and I started realizing, well, this sugar is not that good for you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as soon as I find those things, it would be, I would start researching it. It would be, what is this sugar doing to us? What would it chemically do to us? And... Um, so my nutrition program was no sugar, no dairy, no grains, no soy, no caffeine. And it, it would be an exploration of things that would either trigger my clients or just to help them clean up their diet. And they were eating real food. Yes. I mean, when you take all those things out, all that's left is actual food yep yep and no chemical additives it would be fruits and vegetables and healthy fats and um meats and proteins and and i had a, a a lot of you know i really noticed a difference when i could talk to people about that and they would take it on board and it would be you know they would get results and and it was also back at the time when people, we were talking about sugar and they were coming out with this information about how addictive it was. And as soon as I started reading this, it would be, you know what, I can watch this in my kids. 
you know, because of the stuff that they would be eating. Um, and they, you know, or even myself, you know, I'd have a little bit of a roller coaster. I'd notice if I was eating sugar, how I craved sugar that whole day. And then I started, well, how much sugar should we have? And that's when, you know, I would be like, why is there nothing on a label that says this is your, this is a thousand percent of the RDA of sugar that you are having in one serving? I mean, they did add that on recently here in Canada, at least you know, where they put, well, over 15% is a lot and under 5% is not a lot, you know, for fat and for sugar and that. I wonder how many people actually bother to look at all that or understand it, even if they do look, but it, it's on there. It's on the labels now. Yeah, it's, I think, well, I don't, I do look sometimes, but I know for the longest time it was not on the label. And my clients, I was educating them about, Right, if you have this for breakfast, you've already had three times the amount of sugar that you need for the whole day. And the, the this being what, for example? Uh, for example, uh, the, you know, a, a, a cereal um, or some orange juice, uh, you know, at the time, Nutella or, you know, <laughs> things that will, even peanut butter, so peanut butter and jelly, or people would say, oh, I'm going to have a healthy yogurt, um, granola, you know, the things that people thought were a healthy breakfast were, it was just, you know, you're just bombarding your body with sugar first thing in the morning. And that is a recipe for disaster for the rest of the day if you, you know, if you're trying to stay off that roller coaster. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So as an, a former athlete, you know, you, you were helping just other athletes or just sort of people in general with, with no, your coaching? It was, just, it was just people in general. Okay. It literally, I didn't, I don't think I've ever trained an, an, ath, an athlete. I've just trained people. And were you allowed to... Tell them, you know, bring down the sugars, the, the processed carbs, eat more good fats. I mean, I think some kind of some dietitians or some nutritionists are not actually allowed to, to recommend those things. Um, well, in my own business, I was allowed to recommend anything because, you know, I have a master's degree in nutrition. So if it was my client who was paying me for my advice, I could talk about that. But there was um, one time when I was uh, working for a, a worldwide corporation as their summer fitness trainer, and I would go into the the um, their business and I would do nutrition seminars, and I would talk to the employees there about. You know, here's the thing about sugar and, you know, if you're going to have sugar, it's really important to make sure that you have some fat and protein with it. So your body isn't bombarded with that sugar high. You get the slow release of sugar. And I was actually warned by the 
corporate health coach that that wasn't in um, that wasn't the same as what the American Diabetes Association recommended. Mm-hmm. So that you know, I was not allowed to um, kind of talk about the program I recommended. That if I was going to talk about this, I had to follow the American Diabetes Association recommendation, and they had no recommendation about slowing the release of sugar when you're diabetic. Well, there's another irony for you. Yeah. <laughs> We're collecting them today. Okay, yes. so, <laughs> yeah, okay. So I can feel my blood pressure rising right now. So let's <laughs> carry on. Okay, <laughs> take a couple of deep breaths. It's like, get yourself back into the parasympathetic mode. <laughs> so listen, so you were telling me that um, when COVID hit, you got um, long-haul COVID. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what that is? Tell us what long-haul COVID actually means. Okay, what long-haul COVID is, um, it's a long... It is not recovering from COVID. So most people get COVID and they recover within about 10 to 14 days. It's very flu-like symptoms. Um, Some people are hospitalized, some people get very mild symptoms. And what happens with long COVID is you never recover. So Mm. you don't necessarily, you're not bedridden, but something has happened in your body that has changed. You, You get these COVID storms and literally you just keep talk about a sugar roller coaster you go on this roller coaster of symptoms that the virus is attacking different parts of your body at different times and you become so compromised uh, medically that you're you literally just become a you know it's like bomb like I said you just get bombarded with different symptoms and you think you get better and then suddenly you just go you just relapse again um so the symptoms you get are things like short really bad shortness of breath brain fog incredible fatigue um breathing issues you get heart rate fluctuations of um, you know, if I was just sitting down, my heart rate would elevate to 150. And that would be, you know, prior to COVID, that's my running heart rate. Yeah. Um, and then you would get a heart rate dip down to 40. So you'd get this sort of myriad of the most bizarre things happening to your body that you literally have no control of or because it's such a new um, syndrome, there are no answers to it. So you literally, well, for me and my husband, it was, we're going on a journey of exploration to find out what the triggers are. So what would trigger a relapse for me? Or what are the things that I can do just to keep me, even just at a baseline? And so, I mean, I was talking to you before the 
the podcast for 10 months I have I've not been able to work um, I have not exercised for 10 months because one of the things that we all think is oh, this is the best thing for you is if you're feeling a little bit run down just go out and exercise go out for a walk I can't do that that's the worst thing for people with long COVID to try and exercise and it probably made my long COVID worse because being who I am, when I thought I was getting better, I would go out and start walking again, or I'd go out and do a, a TRX or a weightlifting workout or something because I thought this will help me feel better. Well, it didn't. It actually probably made things worse. Is that because um, your lungs are compromised? It is because um, when we exercise, the it just causes the storms. So we have a completely, our body's response to normal things is, it's just not the same anymore. And, and it, it is very, it's very, very bizarre. And this is, you know, despite the fact that you eat clean, as it were, that you don't eat sugar and all those things, you know, that I just want to say that that does not prevent you from getting COVID or long COVID. No. But does it help when you are in between storms? Does it help the way that you eat or does it have no bearing? Oh, it has a huge bearing. It has a huge bearing. Um, and, you know, I, I want to reiterate what you just said. You know, coming into COVID, I, was, I didn't eat sugar. Um, I exercised. I was healthy, fit, strong. Um, and... You know, I got COVID. I don't know how it, it happened. But one of the things that I turned to um, during my long COVID journey was, all right, you need to keep sugar out of, out of your diet. And it was easy for the first eight weeks because I had no sense of taste, no sense of smell. And literally, it was like, I'm just going to eat bone broth. That's the only thing I ate. Hmm. Um, but then you learn that um, there are some days when you are so tired and so just, you have these storms that take so much energy from your body. And when you come out of them, your, your body wants fuel. And literally the worst thing that you can give it is sugar because you just, you'll go up and then you will drop down even worse. So um, the roller coaster that sugar gives you is the it, it's so bad for our body because we need to we need to keep our bodies calm in long COVID. You need to be on just a nice just keep everything calm. And as soon as you do the sugar thing, you just start roller coastering. You'll trigger something, and then you'll dip and. Um, the other thing that long COVID people can't do, our cells have been affected by COVID, by the virus, and we don't produce energy very well. So on a very, on a chemical, um, when you look at it chemically, if you take in sugar, you're producing free radicals, you're increasing oxidative stress, you are stressing your body. So, you know, I will read time and time again, 
the people on my support group, if we are, if they're asking for help, what do we need to do? Cut out sugar. You know, even though sometimes, you know, we're, we're all feeling really down, it's like, you know, but then I'll read people, I'll read things that people said felt really down, went out, had birthday cake, blah, 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 woke up, I'm in a relapse. Yeah. I relapsed. But it, once again, it's, um, it's, it's trying to educate people. You know, I understand it for myself because, you know, a couple of times, yes, I, I had some sugar. I was like, oh, you know, give me something, give me something. But it's, it really is. You just, you know, it's, we all as humans need that steady release of energy. We don't need the, the spikes and the dips. Absolutely. Yeah. Whether we have COVID or not, we, yeah. we don't need those. Yeah. And, you know, you are experiencing this as a healthy person. So you can imagine, you know, if you start off not as healthy and then you get COVID or long COVID, just how awful it can be. And just how awful it can be to, not just to feel awful, but I mean, it affects your whole life, right? Yeah, it does. It, it really, I mean, it's, um, it, it's been a journey. I can it's a journey, um, but yeah, it, it really does affect your whole life. And, and the big thing is you realize how important your health is. I mean, I cannot, this was a huge learning experience for me because unfortunately, you know, do we have medical answers to this issue? Do we have a lot of medical answers to some of our other issues? But and I would say, not really. You know, the answers are actually in what we put in our mouths. Um, we can make ourselves so much healthier by watching the food that we eat and understanding what the, the dirty foods do to our body. And, you know, I am reminded every single day, it's, it's like, what am I, what am I going to fuel my body with today? Um, because that has been, you know, the pyramid of healing for me has been food and, and supplements and mindset and meditation and breathing, you know, it's acupuncture, so very natural things, but there has nothing medically helped me it, with this virus. And it's so important to, to educate people that, you know, this is such an important part of our lives because, you know, without our health, we, we literally, we're not a productive human being. It's depressing. It's um, frustrating. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, like I said, for the past 10 months, I, I can't believe the difference that, the long COVID has made in my life, but my conscious choice is that I know that food is part of my healing and no sugar is a huge part of what I eat. You know, I am, I'm very, very careful about what I eat. Yeah. Yes. And you know, as you were before you got long COVID. It, but even more now, you know, before you can, you know, you can have a day where um, 
yeah, yeah, we're going to enjoy a treat or something. But I, I understood that it was, you know, a one-off thing. But with long COVID, you, you, it's like the, the enjoyment or the, you, your thought of the enjoyment and then that relapse the next day is, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And it's not a treat. You know, if you're going to feel absolutely <laughs> awful, how can you call that a treat? I know. <laughs> that's a, that's our, our weird mindset is, you know, our treats are, we think of them as, as, you know, I'll have a sugary treat or, you know, I've been good. And it's, it's such a bizarre mindset, but it goes back to probably our childhoods when those we, were, we all have it. We all have it, you know, yeah. It just, yeah, it just needs changing. But, you know, we, yeah. so no judgment. I, I went through that as well. So, um, Vicky, you know, I'm just fascinated by your whole story. And is there sort of a, some sort of indication of whether you'll ever get over the long COVID? Um. Well, is there any research out there? There are some people that are popping out of it. They've had it for, um, you know, 14 months, especially the people in Europe, and you're seeing that they're recovering. Um, and I'm, you know, my slope is definitely on the recoveries. I'm, I'm doing so much better. So it is literally, you have patience, you take baby steps, the whole, um journey you're just you just keep learning and every now and again you find something that helps you and you just include it into your daily routine so um you know yesterday i went for a swim i mean that was and for me that is that was such a huge goal to be able to to you know we no longer say as long covid we don't talk about exercise because that's something that is not in our, you know, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, I can exercise my well way back to health. We're allowed to say I can move myself back to health. So moving, um, but you have to, everything you do, if you think you can do this for, if you can ex think you can exercise for 30 minutes, then we've been told, then exercise for 15 and know that um, that you can go back and be okay the next day. So yesterday I managed a 10 minute swim. Fantastic. And, and for me, that was, that's a win. Yeah, totally. Um, Have, uh, just one last question, just wondering with, you know, the fact that you were an athlete and now that for all intents and purposes, you can hardly do any exercise. Has your weight gone up since you've had long COVID? No. <laughs> your weight hasn't moved hasn't gone up no no but it's changed because i used to have muscles <laughs> now mm -hmm. i don't have any people right so it's more to do with the muscle term than it is to do with your actual uh, weight yeah and and the other thing is you know i when you exercise you tend to feel hungry when you don't exercise and when you're sitting a lot i notice i i eat less um and if, like I said, my, my body fat and percentage of muscle has changed. Um, and at the beginning of COVID, when I had no sense of smell or taste, I 
actually lost a lot of weight. I can imagine. And I've been rebuilding. Um, so, you know, when I think about rebuilding myself to get healthy again, it's eating, you know, healthy fats and fruits and vegetables and, and uh, good proteins. I don't eat a lot of grain or flour, um, no added sugars. You know, I really am very careful. Um, and it's, you know, if you're eating the right kind of food, your body naturally stays in its, in a good state. Um, and you, you know, you'll keep your metabolism running, um, even if you're not exercising. I mean, we use exercise to increase our metabolisms. Um, but if you're eating the right food, that will keep your metabolism running very, uh, very fast. Yeah, that's been my experience as well, because I'm so not sporty. <laughs> and yet I don't put on an ounce. Yep. It is, it is what you eat. I mean, like I said, you, you can't out-train a bad diet. And you have to learn that your body needs healthy fats, proteins, lots of vegetables. And it will, it will, it will thrive when you feed it, even if you're sick. You know, if you're feeding your body the right food, it will give you the best chance of recovery. You can heal yourself with food. I, I truly believe that. But you've got to heal yourself with the right food. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Vicky. <clears throat> That's very inspiring. And, you know, I would venture to say very true. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for talking to me today. Wow, what a great interview to finish up 2021. What a year it's been. And I just find that Vicky's capacity to question what she was taught really impresses me as a teacher because that's been at the heart of my teaching all my career as well as at the heart of Life After Sugar. It's way more than just changing what you eat. It's also about changing how you see the world and how you see yourself in relation to sugar. And it's true that life after sugar doesn't change life out there. Stuff still happens. Ups and downs are inevitable in life. But life after sugar, at least in my experience, and I guess Vicky's too and all my guests this year, well, life after sugar gives us the chance, I think, to really appreciate the sweetness of life when we take away the sugar. And that's what I wish for you for the new year, which is to find the sweetness in life, even if you don't eat sugar. And if you need a little bit of help and encouragement to do that, then head on over to my website, aftersugarclub.com and download your simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar. Just click on the tab Simple Guide and you can also find all of the podcast episodes there by clicking on the Podcast tab and you'll also find my five tips for getting rid of cravings there. And the After Sugar Club is always open. You can join us whenever you like to get the support, the encouragement and the accountability you need within an empathetic, 
and positive and curious group setting so that you never feel alone on your path to breaking free from sugar. Go to aftersugarclub.com and click on the green button, join the club. And if you're enjoying this podcast, scroll down and rate it and leave me a review and let me know how this podcast is helping you to see the sweetness in your life after sugar. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.